listening to the Inside Job Making CX Work podcast, where we share how you can make customer experience transformation a reality. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Inside Job Making CX Work. I'm your host, Aaron Talier. I'm the vertical leader of wealth management and insurance for Merkel. I'm really pleased today to have two outstanding guests who are experts in the field of wealth management. Uh, First is Michelle Feinstein. She's the general manager for wealth and asset management for Salesforce. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Nice to be here. And we also have Troy Eilenfeld. Troy is a longtime client partner in Merkel's wealth management practice. Good to have you, Troy. Great to be here, Aaron. Thank you. So today, I really appreciate both of you making the time. It's certainly a very timely point to talk about wealth management. Uh, With the market absolutely going crazy these days, nobody knows which way it's going to head. We've got the Fed raising interest rates. We thought it was going to be 50 basis points, then it's 75, and then uh, who knows you know, what, what they're going to come up with at the next meeting. So we've got a lot of uncertainty out there. And we've got customers who are looking for advice, they're trying to chart their way. You know, money is important to them. Their, their retirement is um, really essential to you know, their, their well-being, knowing that they're taking care of. And this market's not helping anybody. Um, so we, we've got a lot of dynamics. And then, of course, the you know, companies that are trying to serve these customers, they're all going through a massive transformation and digitizing their experiences. So we've got a lot of uh, disruption going on right now. And I'd, I'd really love to talk to you guys. As you think about us coming out of this post-pandemic world, at least we certainly hope <laughs> that that's where we're headed, you know, let's start with the customers. Um, Michelle, what insights do you have about how customers are interacting differently with the wealth management organizations that serve them? Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting environment. Right now, as an advisor or even a wealth firm, they're facing the challenge of supporting five different generations of customers that are in the marketplace right now. So you have the silent generation, the oldest generation, baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, and Gen Z. And what's interesting is they all have different financial planning needs, different levels of risk tolerance, and they're each in a different place in their life planning journey. So that means for a wealth management firm and for an advisor, they cannot approach wealth management with a one-size-fits-all approach. They really have to study each of these segments really carefully and personalize client engagement, personalize technology and how much of it's going to be used based on the comfort level of that segment and that persona, and also service. So when you think about you know the silent generation, they don't trust technology as much. They don't ask for help. Uh, they're kind of stuck in old ways in terms of investment strategies. But then you look at the millennials, right? They have the largest challenge. They're, they're making the most money they'll probably ever make, but they're mired in debt. They're taking care of their parents. They're putting kids through school. So different financial planning strategies are really in need. You know, I like to call this the time of the empowered customer. Regardless of the segment they're in, all of these clients have are now living in a consumer world where technology has really infiltrated their homes and every experience they have. So how are they planning to engage with their wealth management firm? 
they're measuring that firm against the last best consumer experience that they've had. So they're expecting wealth to offer them mobile first if they want to use it. Uh, They want to have a balance of human interaction as well as digitally enabled capabilities. And there's also a little bit more of a demand for self-service. So this puts a great challenge on wealth firms because they have been used to -to face-to-face interaction, uh, going to lunch with a client, maybe playing golf with a client. And now they're in this situation of balancing different uh, engagement models. And that feeds its way back into the middle office and, and really every touch point that the client has with that firm. Michelle, so many great points there in terms of the enormous distinctions between the different segments or or age ranges that are being served by the wealth management industry today. Aaron, at the very top of this, you mentioned some of the significant market events, the downturn, increasing inflation rates. And I think all those things are going to have a significant impact on the behaviors of those different age groups served by the industry. And for the last, gee, how long has it been? You know, seven, eight years plus of bull markets, of crypto coming into play. We've seen people taking a lot of risks and a lot of folks thinking that they can kind of manage their own money and using different brands or platforms to accomplish that. And I think that we're going to see an an interesting shift here coming up right on our, our doorstep to as we shift to safety, as there's less predictability in markets as these interest rates are higher, the need for advice and kind of looking for that place where they can aggregate their finances, look at how those finances play off each other, whether it's their the debt they're managing, to Michelle's point, the, uh, the investments that aren't performing nearly as well as they did, so their wealth picture looks less well, and, and kind of putting that into an environment where the advisor can help them Uh, really plan for the future and make investments that are going to be for the long term for longer term success. So I think we're going to see some very interesting shifts occurring where we're going to see aggregation occurring, uh, where people want to move their money into a single firm. We know that there's a lot of preference out there for people wanting to have both their wealth management or advisory services and their financial bank accounts, perhaps their lending in one place, so that they have an integration of those experiences, whether that's dealing with uh, those those different accounts uh, through apps and online, or whether it's uh, kind of connecting into the service experience to the advisor and, and how those all kind of all interplay together. So I think this moment in time where we have a you know an enormous amount of pressure uh, financially on on these different generations uh, is is going to also create some winners and losers in the marketplace. Those wealth management firms that are able to position their services and experiences, bring these things together, market it well, bring it directly to the consumers so that they truly understand that they are able to deliver that, is going to be critical. And for the advisor, right, the days of building a business solely through networking is over. The technology to be able to connect to broader audiences, make sure that they are aware of how that firm is positioned, how they do the work that they do, why that's of value to consumer, that process of making those connections and building a book of business is going to change. And I think, you know, at the asset manager level, we also are seeing some real gaps, right? We're seeing advisors are and researchers are even more time pressed than ever. We have consumers that are in a state of, of panic. They need to redo their portfolios. And there's just a lot of anxiety out there. Advisors and researchers are needing to be able to get to the core 
content they need faster. And asset managers who produce a lot of that content are needing to do more to uh, improve the experience for those advisors, get them to the personalized content quicker so that the advisors can do the work they need to do to serve their markets. Yeah, you both made some really great points. And if I, you know, I th- think about what you've said together, you know, Michelle brought in right up front this idea of you know, how, how do we serve across five generations? It's really challenging because you know, they're all facing the same market environment, but not only are their imperatives relative to what their goals are uh, very different, but how they want to be served is very different. And, you know, Troy, you, you brought up, you know, all the ways that things need to be changing. And the, the key question is like, how, right? It, we, we know that these things need to be done. It's clearly an imperative, but how are organizations going to go about making these changes? So, you know, I'd love to get some thoughts on what, what are you seeing organizations doing to respond to the changing consumer, you know, marketplace and the, and the environment? You know, I'd love to get best practices, but if you have any, you know, sort of cautionary tales and some watchouts, love to hear those too. Talking to many different firms uh, across wealth and asset management, there are a few areas that I have started to see become their placemats for success over the next 18 months. Certainly, they have projects going on to reimagine experiences end to end with a focus on less fragmentation more unification of platform experiences. And they're not focusing only on one persona, but multiple personas within the wealth firm. So for instance, they're looking at the end customer experience, the advisor experience, the middle office or operations experience, as well as service. And so what they're doing is they're hiring outside consultants. They're bringing uh, representation from their business leaders and technology leaders to the table at the beginning of doing a strategy. And they're all agreeing as they study these journeys of these personas, what are the pain points? Where are the the best areas of opportunities? And I think one lesson learned that we've heard over and over, some firms have identified 30 or 40 journeys that they want to reimagine. That's a lot. And sometimes when you try to boil the ocean, you don't accomplish anything. Uh, What we've seen some of the more best-in-class firms doing is they will study and say, hey, if we focus on these top five business processes, it could be reimagining the way accounts are opened on our platform or assets uh, movements are occurring on our platform, or it could be the way we onboard advisors. They're trying to figure out how much of an uptick will that give to the experience overall? And what's the return on investment for our firm? Will it help us scale? Can we process faster? Can we do more with fewer um, ads to staff? These are some of the gains they're focusing on. I think another big area is figuring out uh, how do they modernize their their data strategies. So a big lesson learned for many firms is they needed to take a step back before they began and really understand how many systems do they have in their technology ecosystem. Do they need them all? Are those are those platforms still delivering value to them? And is there a benefit to reducing that technology footprint? Once they've figured that out, they're then saying, do we even have our arms around all of the data, the proprietary data and all the data that might be coming into that wealth firm from different third-party sources across custodians, market data, financial planning providers, and the like? Usually the answer is they don't have their arms around it. So I've seen best-in-class firms really focus on, let's get this messy data situation figured out first. 
And they're solving for that by reducing the number of systems and then really focusing on uh, bi-directional APIs and picking a strategic partner that can be their data uh, repository. And usually once that data gets into that system and it's cleaned and it's normalized, they're then in a much better position to start feeding this clean data into the experiences that they want to reimagine. And that really accelerates their transformation. Uh, it's tremendous, Michelle. I, I think that we've seen a lot of that as well with a few fits and starts. I think your point at the very top was there are too many priorities, right? And uh, that there's so many situations where there are 50 journeys that they want to redo. And that's in conflict with being able to kind of have that focus set of priorities. And it brought to mind for me a recent quote that I saw from a large study that over 50% of high net worth affluent clients say their primary wealth manager should improve their digital capabilities across the board. And so that was a study from 22. And I was so struck by that. I mean, I've seen some fairly good headway in some of these sets of experiences. And I think you made it the point in the first question response that they really are behind many other categories, that everyone is expecting the experience they've gotten from many brands in more forward-reaching categories. So there is this sense that they're behind. And so when you're behind, we see folks that are struggling to focus, struggling to get their priorities right. And the other thing we've seen is the issue of getting consistent executive sponsorship for major transformation. And to have that connection between the marketing organization, the IT organization, and the sales organization to make sure that everyone is fully invested in this. And so, you know, those are some of the things that have been some of the missteps that we've seen. But on the best practices side, we've seen, as you mentioned as well, Michelle, there is that focus on reimagining the journey and experiences. I think where sometimes the gap can lie is between the envisionment of those journeys and experience designs to developing clear use cases. And when I say clear, I mean, truly articulated, what is it going to take to activate those use cases across data and technology, what creative is required, all the correct messaging, how that's going to be connected into the MarTech stack and activated and measured so that the implementation of those use cases is clear internally. They can be program managed or project managed in such a way they can actually get them accomplished measured and refined so that they can actually put points on the board so the organization can see that material gain. And so we've seen that in some cases where the companies have gone from just, hey, we've got to do something in all these different places, winnowing that down to the key winning activities tied to the KPIs that matter, and then really getting after how are we going to do this very clearly, who is responsible, and why are they going to do it when and getting it done? And that kind of has the flip side. If it doesn't work that way, things slow down, they don't get accomplished, and then there's executive changes. And once those executive changes out at the top, they lose steam and uh, you've got an additional set of problems. So we see good and bad. These are hard changes to make. Yeah. And Troy, I just want to add a couple more comments here that I think are really important uh, in making sure that firms can successfully transform. Number one is not only are they focusing on the outside in experiences, but they're also prioritizing funding and resources to improve the employee experience of their firm. And that means modernizing the way that employees communicate with each other, support each other, process work, uh, collaborate. So moving away from email and, and using things like Microsoft Teams or a Slack solution. So I thought that was interesting. 
The other is they're also making sure that they're aware of how their brand is perceived in the marketplace and understanding, you know, is our brand a trusted brand? Is it a modern brand? And if the answer is no to both of those things, then they're really also focusing on how do we make sure we measure client sentiment along every experience that they have with us and listen. So if there's an experience that isn't good, they take the time, money, and effort to listen, react, and improve that experience and, and don't take a year to do so. Guys, that's that's great. The 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 I think the renewed focus on uh, customer sentiment and being able to act against that is so critical. But I just wanted to pick up on on one one piece, which really struck me was your comment at the top, uh, which was modernizing the way the the internal constituencies communicate with each other. And I think that kind of connected for me into the relationship in between the marketing organization and sales. And that ability to more precisely prospect from the marketing organization side, use the data and the technology to nurture folks in, again, use the data and the analytics to be able to score and dimensionalize the individuals that are coming in, get those to the right advisors or service organization, and be able to get that level of detail, scoring, profiling to the people on the front lines, to that advisor, to that service person, so that they can have a really tremendous interaction with the customer. If that falls off, right, uh, and many companies don't do that, when it falls off, that's when you don't have those great experiences, certainly when they are the live experiences. Some of those can be orchestrated purely from the tech side, but if you don't get the right information to the frontline group, you're missing an immediate expectation point with today's consumer that they expect you to know who they are, exactly how they've interacted with the brand, even as much as a few moments ago. So that's where headway needs to happen as well. And when I think about what you both have, have said, you know, we're, we talk a lot about digitization and how, how do we serve the customer in this digital, uh, digitally native environment um, and, you know, digital first or mobile first. and you know, what really came through to me as I was listening to you both is that the human element sometimes gets lost, right? We, we, we can't, we don't blame the technology anymore. Look, the technology exists. And I, I personally, when I was, you know, working within these organizations and I've been part of Merkle, you know, looking at the Salesforce platform, look, it, the Salesforce platform can really do what, what's needed end to end. I think a lot of people miss the the idea that, you know, especially marketers, that Salesforce just isn't a marketing platform. It's not even just a servicing platform. It's like it's a customer platform. And, you know, we, we really need to put that customer first in our thinking. Uh, you know, that can help us prioritize. But even more important than that, it's this idea that it's the people within the organization have to think differently. They have to get out of their sort of service silo or their marketing silo or their finance silo and really come together to prioritize what needs to be done for the customers. And that starts with what needs to be done to make the, the teams work better together. Um, so I really love those points that you guys made. The, the next question is, really all about data and insights. So you've both been talking about how important it is to get that data and then turn it into insights. Um, I'd love to get from both of you some best practices on how you, know, you see organizations doing that and really trying to 
how they're accelerating their use of data and insights. Well, Aaron, I, I think I'll make a couple of comments at the top of that around a few challenges, right? One, there's a lot of data out there and a lot of good data, a lot of bad data as well. But data is only as good as our ability to harness it and be able to communicate the insights from that data internally. That's both between platforms as well as being able to harness it and use it from an executive decisioning standpoint. And what I still see in the market is there's still quite a lot of siloed organizations where data, the analytics, there might be multiple data and analytics groups within a wealth management organization. And the MarTech that consumes that uh, might actually be owned by different groups. And when you've got the combination of fragmented data and analytics and then how that is being staged and stood up for the integration with MarTech, we run into some challenges, as, as you can imagine. We're seeing that that's improving um, over time, but that still is a, a bit of a challenge. We're seeing much more robust use of you know third-party data for acquisition purposes, better dimensionalization of target markets. The personas are being driven by far more accurate data, not something that's kind of directional, but something that's really based on the U.S. population here in this country, being able to know that on hundreds, if not thousands of dimensions, and being able to then personalize the outreach based on that data. One place where there's, I think, progress, but where a lot more progress could be made is in identity resolution for unknown site visitors. So, so much work and money goes into the prospecting process. But when people start interacting with the properties of the brand, being able to at least know, in, of course, a privacy safe way, the identity of site visitors or other people interacting with other touch points of the brand is critical so that additional personalization can take place so that additional nurture streams that are properly personalized or at least customized to the profiles of those individuals, that's where the difference is made in terms of developing that really great brand connection, building trust, and it drives to more conversions and ultimately more assets under management. So those are the things that we're seeing progress in there. And the other piece is if they can do that with the identity portion, and can make that connection with the CDP, which is always that kind of mythological beast out there, but does so much hard work in enabling personalized experiences, then the rest of the market tech ecosystem can really be optimized, not just for existing customers, but for your prospects as well. Yeah, Troy, I'll just add on a couple of comments. Those are all great points. Uh, other things I see firms focusing on when it comes to their data strategies is how can they provide the advisor with a simple to use and easy to understand dashboard that's offering them value and enabling them with more predictive insights so that they're more uh, proactive as opposed to being reactive when it comes to engaging with the client. So for example, we had a customer using um, the consolidated data set that they had to develop and deliver a dashboard that offered the advisor a health score of that client, the potential lifetime value of that client, uh, the, the total household value for that client, as well as next best actions, uh, you know, and, and other opportunities where that advisor could have items for attention. So don't have the advisor just react to what did that client call me about, but also enable the advisor with, oh, by the way, did you know that one of your uh, goals in your financial plan has drifted? We should talk about that. So arming those advisors with those next best actions. The other is I'm seeing firms leverage these consolidated data sets to try to modernize the segmentation strategies that they have. 
you would be surprised some of the leading wealth firms out there are still following very legacy segmentation strategies where you know clients are grouped by AUM and that's about it. Well, now that they can tap into this data and, and artificial intelligence, they can start to get a lot smarter about uh, really organizing clients by demographic, by interaction preference, by technology preference, by planning needs, and really start to match them up against advisors that look like them and maybe have niche expertise regarding what they need. It could be estate planning, tax planning, divorce planning. So getting very creative using data and then having that data fuel better experiences. That set of points you just made around the segmentation and the additional insights relative to that old kind of profiling uh, method that was generally done based on assets. It's such a critical pivot for these firms. And there's so much opportunity to be gained by that. You think about as you look at the mid and younger career populations, where the concentrations of wealth are and uh, and how much those profiles have changed. And to be able to connect the dots between the profiles of those individuals and the profiles of the advisor, whether it's from a licensing and capability standpoint, whether it's from a geo standpoint, whether it's from a personal style standpoint, there are so many ways to dimensionalize that to create a better fit. And ultimately, that person is the front person, that advisor and their, their surrounding service people are the front ambassadors of that brand. And that first interaction between them and the new prospect is so critical. That can help create that better experience and more conversions for firms that can make that data-driven connection between the individual prospect and the field office or the, the advisor's office. So that's amazing. And I also want to pick up on at the top, you sort of started talked about like lifetime value and the next best actions that can be delivered to the advisor. And I think about the the interplay between how marketing has been seen in wealth management companies really as kind of you know home office, right? What's happening kind of up there and far away and the value ascribed to what they do. And I think this is a moment of time where the home office marketer can really transform the importance of what they do to the field organization, harnessing data, analytics, insights, delivering that to the field in a powerful way. And that often comes through that LTV and next best action insight that can be delivered right to the screen of the advisor to improve those interactions. And so often it's, you know, Salesforce and its platforms that can make that happen. So not enough firms have gone to make that shift. And I think that's where a huge amount of opportunity lies. Well, you know, you both have brought up some really great ideas on how wealth management organizations can better serve the customer. And there's certainly a lot of challenges. Um, I I know that I talk to a lot of folks in market and they're almost everybody. In fact, I I would venture to say probably 100% of firms are in some sort of transformation. So it's hard. We talked about how many priorities there are and yes, the technology exists, but yeah, we got to get these people, you know, these teams working together. We have to understand the customer. It's still complicated. Um, So if you could just offer one piece of advice for organizations that are transforming what would that be to maximize their chance of succeeding you know, and, and really winning in the market? I think to remain focused and not have an overly complex strategy, 
I would say that wealth firms should be very purpose-driven and really prioritize growth engine opportunities. In the environment that we're in, their budgets are going to shrink, their margins are going to shrink. So they have to be very selective on those priorities that they put at the top of the list and then execute flawlessly. So an example of a growth engine would be, you know, maybe they're going to do an integration with a key strategic partner that's going to bring in a high value add type of uh, product or solution for either the ultra high net worth the high net worth or the next gen, and they really should balance it. So I see a lot of firms across wealth, especially on the asset management side, where they're making acquisitions or strategic partnerships with index funds or uh, fintechs that can provide transparency and transactional capability around alternative investments, as well as easy access to loans and credit lines against a portfolio. So all those things can become new revenue generating growth engines, but also modernize the brand pretty quickly and probably give them a competitive lift. There are clearly some tremendous opportunity areas and zeroing in on the ones that are most meaningful is critical. The advice I would give is in attaining some of those things that Michelle was just talking about, are relative to the, the act of transformation itself. Yeah, one is making sure there is clear C-suite backing and sponsorship for the transformation you want to occur, right? It's not just approving. It's not just supporting. It's true sponsorship. And that, that sponsorship connects from marketing to sales to service so that there is a clear integrated message coming from senior leadership to all those that are going to be implementing these changes, that it's meaningful, it matters to the organization, and that the measurement of that transformation is going to directly impact their outcomes in the organization positively. These are important transformations to win in the marketplace today. So I think that's one is sponsorship. I'd say the next one is program management. And so if you have a suite of opportunities you want to chase that are clearly linked to the vision, have use cases that are associated with them, these things are not simple, right? We've talked before earlier in this call about the data, the analytics, the MarTech, how that integrates in with service, the support required from IT, the creative and the content that has to fuel into these systems to make them work. To put that all together isn't easy. Right? If we're doing five or six or 10 of those things at once, it's infinitely complicated. So being able to overlay that with the right management structure, which includes program management discipline, organizing every single set of activities, the dependencies around that, the budget management around it, and each one of the individual projects associated with it, that's going to lead to the keeping on timeline, keeping it successful, and keeping other stakeholders in the organization believing that these transformations can take place and that the firm can capture a disproportionate share of this opportunity that's presenting itself right now, which is associated with people wanting more advice. They want the support. They want the aggregated set of financial services, both provided by technology and integrated in with the actual advice of the frontline employees at those wealth management firms. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity here. It's really about making sure we pull it together and execute it in a way that makes it happen. It doesn't always happen. And we wanna make sure that the firms in our client firms can really capture this. There's a lot of, a lot of money to be made, even though we're in a market downturn and interest rates are high right now. So I feel a lot of optimism and it's just about putting the pieces together in the right way. Yeah, Troy, I'll just make two quick comments uh, to close on this particular topic. And that is, 
for those wealth firms out there that have historically uh, really loved building their own technology, yes, there are lots of benefits to doing that. And you have all the control of the experiences and the pace at which you deliver it. However, it is expensive to maintain and it's hard to keep up with all the ways that the market advances and in the technology advances. So the firms that I'm seeing it do, re- do it really well are moving away from building it all on their own and being much more strategic and challenging themselves as to why should we build it? What would we benefit from building it? And should we consider outsourcing? The second is also taking a hard look at customization. Wealth firms have been known historically to over-customize experiences because they're trying to please all the advisors and all the different personas within their firms. But that becomes a problem over time. So we start to see more firms now leaning into configuration and moving away from customization. And the last point I'll make is committing to change. So the firms that are doing it best are actually weaving it into the goals of every employee that's part of that transformation, that they're committed to change, they're committing to working in an agile way and to making decisions in a smart way, but, in, but, but quickly. Well, I, I asked each of you for one uh, <laughs> piece of advice, and clearly there's a lot to be done. Um, and so you know, appreciate all the insights that, that you provided. and. I think, you know, to me, wealth management organizations, it's important for them to focus on those core competencies. You can lean on partners such as Salesforce or Merkle for, you know, advice um, and, you know, doing some of the things that, you know, we, we have the opportunity to do across, we see across the entire industry. So in order to succeed, I think it makes a lot of sense for wealth management organizations to really focus in on the customer and do the things that are required to build those relationships. Because, you know, as we talked about right off, off the top, you know, it is about the customer. The customer is empowered. And with the turbulence that we're seeing in the market today, people are seeking advice and they're seeking advice in different ways. Sometimes they're seeking it. From an individual, sometimes they're seeking it from their friends on social, which will lead them in many different directions. And sometimes they just want to be digitally native, um, but they still want advice and support. And so, you know, I I want to just thank both of you for your um, words of wisdom today, and make the offer to anyone that's listening. You know, we'd love to continue this conversation. I'm sure that you can. Uh, get the sense that the three of us are really passionate about serving this the customers in this industry, uh, and we'd love to we'd love to continue the conversation. So, Michelle and Troy, really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Michelle. I so much appreciate it. Well, and I also want to thank you, the listener, for uh, spending the time with us today, and we'll look forward to seeing you on a future episode of Inside Job making CX work. Thank you.